Thanks for spending some of your time with us here today. We hope that you were encouraged and move closer to Jesus through this week's sermon or midweek check-in. To find out more about how we can connect with you and follow Jesus together, please visit us live on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. or check us out online at graceefreedav.org. Thanks again and have a great day. Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, I am so excited that all of you have joined us today. We have a very exciting uh, day planned for you. This is a special Sunday. It is our Mission Sunday, which we try to do at least once a year. Um, and so we have a guest speaker, Andy Mann, who will be coming up and sharing in just a minute. Uh, to tell you a little bit uh, about him, I just had the privilege of meeting Andy this past fall at our Perspectives class and um, was just kind of blown away um, with the lesson that he taught there. Uh, was really excited uh, that he was able to come here today. Andy uh, works with Wycliffe Translators. He uh, grew up in Illinois and uh, went to Moody Bible Institute and as well as Northern Illinois University where he met his wife Audrey. And then they went to Papua New Guinea for 20 years where they learned a language directly from the people and then proceeded to work on translation of the Bible into that language. Uh, so some pretty neat experiences, some very unique experiences. Um, he then came back to the States, I believe designed the, uh, the language uh, program, or the linguistic program at Moody, um, and worked there for a few years, and um, just has continued to be very active in uh, linguistics and translation, and um, yeah, let's give Andy a warm welcome. Well, good morning. It is good to be here and to see a church that is putting a missions emphasis. That's so healthy for a church. Otherwise, we get so wrapped up in our little worlds. We need to every now and then step back and recognize there's a much bigger world that God is involved in. And hopefully you'll be encouraged this morning. I know I was encouraged. I got to meet several people and I met some other OKs. And so that made me feel at home and comfortable. And, uh, do you know what an OK is? Do you know what a, a PK is? Is what? A preacher's kid. You know what an MK is? A missionary kid. I'm an OK. I'm an ordinary kid. <laughs> Who's had the privilege of doing some extraordinary things, like Bible translation. We worked over in Papua New Guinea, which is just above Australia, along the equator, jungle, think National Geographic. Uh, in fact, the people that we worked among, the Amanah people, during my lifetime, I was alive when they were still using stone axes and hadn't seen a wheel. Now, most of them have cell phones, they've been using computers, and can you imagine what it's like to move from literally the Stone Age to the computer age in one generation? If you think there's been change in your life, imagine what that was like. Because it's a Mission Sunday, I took it upon myself to bring the world's greatest missionary. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to the world's greatest missionary, uh, which happens to be <laughs> translated scriptures. The founder of Wycliffe Bible Translators said that the Bible in the mother tongue of people is the world's greatest missionary because it never takes a furlough, never takes a break, 
and is never considered a foreigner, which is so different than what we were able to experience over there. And can you again, can you imagine that transition of so much change in society and in life? How wonderful to be able to have a foundation of truth by which I can come to and, and begin to understand some stability in the midst of so much change that goes on in the world and in their, in their lives. So we've worked among the Amana people. We were able to do a translation of scripture for them. And how well I remember walking along an Amanab road. You think the villages and, and this was remote area. And I was practicing my speech. It was a good speech. It was a marvelous speech. It was also a very short speech. It went something like this. Dear God, I quit. I'm done. I've had it. That's it. <laughs> I can't go on anymore. I am finished. Don't even try to talk me out of it. I am done. It was a very dark time of our life. We had just come back from a furlough, and we were trying to get translation going. We'd spent four years learning the language. We we're ready to get started. But there's only one person who was willing to help us with the translation. We were trying to do literacy, teach people to read, but nobody was interested. We would get a food order for our Western foods about every three weeks, and that food order had been delayed, and we, we had run out of our Western foods, our comfort foods, <laughs> that we would be able to take out into the village. And then on top of it, we were beginning our second month of dengue fever, called breakbone fever. So the two-hour walk into the airstrip to get our, our food order was now beginning to take three hours. And it was just a hard time. I made it to the airstrip. I saw the plane circle around overhead and it landed on the grass airstrip. I went over to the, the pilot. I said, do you have that food order for Minch? He said, oh, I tried to radio that in, but nobody was at the radio. And, uh, but I had a problem. I couldn't take it right now. But good news, I'm going to make a special flight. I'll come back tomorrow. So just come back tomorrow, and I'll have that food order ready for you. I said, thank you so much. I'm going to go over here, sit down, and die. That was sort of it. You know, I it took three hours to walk in, to pick up a food order, to come back. I'm going to have to come back again tomorrow? I sat there, and the one man who was willing to help us with our translation, Penne, he come on over and he sat down next to me, and, and I've heard that it's really good for a missionary to share your deep, honest feelings with the people that you work with in order to bond with them and to connect with them on an emotional level. And, and so I began to share with Penny all I was feeling of how rotten it was. He was the only one willing to help us with the translation, how rotten it was that nobody wanted to come in our literacy class to teach to read, and how rotten it was that the food order was delayed, and how rotten it was to feel rotten. And good old dear-hearted Penny, <laughs> he just absorbed and he listened and then he began to mosey off. I started back home. Another man came up and said, have you heard about Penne? 
I said, no, I was just talking with him. What, what's up? Oh, his three-month-old son died over the weekend. I thought, oh, I never gave him a chance to share what was on his heart. I also knew from intensive study about the language group in that particular area that every death was caused by sorcery. And so what is it that everyone's going to understand? This authority is a threat to the authority of a sorcerer. And so what they did is they worked sorcery on his son and magically killed his son. I went over and I found Penny and I, I said, Penny, I am so sorry. I, I just heard about your son. And then he said words I will never forget. He said, Andy, this is hard. This is real hard. But I want you to know I'm not going to give up this translation. Not until I die or until Jesus comes back. What can you say to that? If we could have the next slide. My Papua New Guinea brother was teaching me that we need to be asking the right questions. As we follow Jesus, if we're to follow wholeheartedly, if you really want to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, we need to begin to think differently and ask the right questions. We need to be able to ask, not is this hard or will it hurt? If we're truly following Jesus as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we need to be asking the question, is it worth it? We need to ask, not what is God's will for my life? Rather, we need to be asking, what is God's will for the world and where do I fit into this story? We don't need to hesitate wondering, I wonder if I will succeed or not. Because the real question is, will I remain faithful? That's a new way of thinking that many people in the U.S. are not thinking yet. But you're being discipled here. By the way, my highest admiration to the church leadership here of disciples making disciples, that is on the cutting edge of what God is doing in the world today and what is happening in this church is exactly in step with what God is doing in the hearts of his people. That new wine that you're singing about, it's happening through that understanding. I was also able to spend time as an international administrator, being able to rub shoulders with mission leaders from around the world. And as I would rub shoulders, we would be discussing strategies and what we would need to do for the gospel to get out throughout the whole world. And can I assure you that mission leaders around the world from all kinds of agencies, church planting, discipleship, Bible translation, all coming together have an urgency to see the fulfillment of the mission and purpose of God. There's something in the air, something that we, is almost tangible that, wow, we're reaching a climax, a conclusion coming very, very soon. I'll sometimes ask people in a church, so do you think Jesus is going to come back soon? Oh, yes. Well, why? Oh, all the bad things happening around the world. I mean, there's 
tsunamis and earthquakes and volcanoes and, and there's wars and terrorism and, and the Dow Jones went down a half a point yesterday. The economy's just collapsing. And, 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 and everybody's concerned for all this. Boy, surely the end of the world's coming because it's getting bad. Well, the world's been pretty bad and worse in history. But what mission leaders, what they see, and what brings that urgency within them is seeing God do things today that we've never seen in the history of mankind. God is doing something new. Have you heard of the church house, uh, the Back to Jerusalem movement? The house church in China, from their perspective, they're taking the scripture and this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole earth and then the end will come? They're claiming that. And from their perspective, the gospel began in the Middle East, it spread over through Europe, went across the, Lang- the Atlantic, through South America, North America, all became evangelized. It be- went across through the Pacific Islands and evangelizing there, coming along the Asian coast, establishing Christianity along the Asian coast, moving into China. And now the house church in China is calling on its leaders to say, let us now take the gospel Back to Jerusalem, circumnavigating the world. And that's a high call because it's through the hardest, darkest, most resistant areas to the gospel where Americans are not welcomed, but Chinese are. And they are purposing to see this gospel throughout the whole world. What used to be Sending countries. We used to send missionaries over to Korea. Do you realize that now, per capita, Korea is sending more missionaries than any other nation in the world? For every outsider who goes into Nigeria, six Nigerians are going out to spread the gospel. Unprecedented. You're probably well aware of the dreams and visions among Muslims. God is stepping in. You see, Jesus said, I will build my church. And the way I take it, he will build it with or without us. He is so passionate. He is so intent on building his church. I'm going to build it. I'm inviting you. I want to partner with you. I want you to partner with me. I want to work together with my church in building this kingdom. But if you're not going to step up, I'm going to step in there and I will come with dreams and visions. So much so that you can find in newspapers in these Arabic Muslim countries little articles of, have you had a dream or a vision of the man in white? Call this number. It's becoming so prevalent. Jesus is stepping in. This is the last two minutes where he's throwing everything he's got into this world. Satan knows it's the end of it too unprecedented. And then my favorite, Bible translation. Do you realize this is the first generation in the history of mankind that can even talk about the Bible being translated into every language that needs one? And it's going to happen in the next 10 to 15 years. We're going to be entering in those last languages for everyone to have the word of God in a language that's transformative, that's speaking to their hearts. So when you see these 10, 12-year-olds 
pay them a little respect. They may be finishing out this task. Let me put it very graphically to you, if we could have the next slide. Is that for the first 1,800 years, from the time of Jesus for 1,800 years, 1,800 years, there were 68 languages which had scriptures translated into them, where people could read about the love of God, read about his death, burial, resurrection, to read of, of the church exploding. For 1,800 years, just 68. Over the next 100 years, one-eighteenth of that, the next 100 years, all of a sudden, now there's 522 translations that are there. Then, in the next 100, 120 years, up to the present day, we now have 3,500 languages which have scripture in the language that's able to transform lives. Not just go to the head, not just to understand, but to bring transformation where the heart is. We're intent because we are coming to a conclusion in history, but we need to understand we're being invited to join God in what he's doing, but we need to sort of understand what he's doing. Let's go back to the beginning. To go back to the beginning, we're going to have to go back before creation. Let's get the next slide. We see in Ephesians, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Isn't that wonderful? I love being blessed. Keep it coming. I want more blessing, more blessing. Blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ even before he made the world. Okay, we're going back before creation. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. We are made for a purpose. And we see in verse 12, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. This is our purpose. This is who we are. Going back from before creation, God is all about his glory. The Bible is not about me. How often I come to the Bible and say, okay, what's it going to say for me today? No, quite actually, the Bible is to help us understand the Father, understand God, so that I can join with him in what he's doing. The Bible is the story of his glory. Back from the time of Adam, Adam, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. I want an earth full of worshipers, those who will love me, those who will worship me because I'm worthy of it. It didn't turn out so well. Man sinned. I'll, I'll, I'll work through a family. Abraham, I will raise you up. I will bless you to be a blessing. And I'll work through your family so that they can declare my glory and so that the nations will understand that they will worship me. And that family was sort of dysfunctional. Okay, I'll work through a nation. And he raises up the nation of Israel and brings 
raises up Moses to lead them out. I will care for you. I will release you from captivity. I will demonstrate to the world my love and they'll see who I am through you and you will declare my glory to the nations. God said, I will make my name great. You make my name known. And he did. He made his name great so that 40 years later, they're coming into Jericho and Jericho, they're shaking in their boots. They're over there saying, oh man, we've heard about this God. 40 years ago, we heard how he brought you out of, out of Jerusalem and they were scared. God made his name great. Israel was to make his name known. They established themselves into a kingdom. David had his heart set on, let me establish a temple where, God, where people can see what this God is like, where he can dwell among his people. Solomon builds that temple and that temple begins to declare to all the nations how wonderful and how great this God is of the Israelites and how Israel was so blessed, so much so the Queen of Sheba comes and she sees all that's there, all these sacrifices that are being offered up. She sees the blessing and the wealth and the wisdom and she says, boy, you guys are sure lucky. No. She says, how blessed you are. She sees these thousands and thousands of bulls and rams being sacrificed, offered up to this God. She's seen the wealth and the prosperity and the blessings. She says, how blessed are your manservants. How blessed are your officials. How blessed your nation is and your people. And she recognized this worship of God was a reflection of who he is. And then idolatry. Israel turned to other gods. And God is jealous. I'm the one to be worshipped. I want people to glorify me. And Jesus comes to show what the Father looks like. To help us understand what it is and to give his commands. As followers of Jesus, we have to be careful with our language. As a linguist, I'm very sensitive to language. If we can have the next slide. And I'm excited, as particularly for being able to speak to this church, because this is a church that's committed to discipleship. This is the heart of God. This is how you are different than a lot of other people in the world. You see, I'll put it into two categories. There are Christians, and it's great. It's wonderful. I'm not putting that down at all. But the American church needs to wake up. God is calling us much higher to something much more glorious, something much more of his heart into this discipleship. For Christians, they'll talk about knowledge. Oh, I want a pastor who's really smart and can teach me. Teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me. And I'm really smart and I know all the answers. I got good apologetics. I can defend this. I can talk about this. I know all the good Bible stories. And I'm a good Christian. But a disciple, their vocabulary isn't talking about just knowledge. It's talking about obedience. You see, when Jesus gave a command, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them. And too often, we've stopped there. Okay, I'll teach them. <laughs> you got to finish the sentence. 
teach them to obey all that I commanded. This is a much higher calling that Jesus is giving to his people. If the nations are to hear and understand who God is and understand the glory of God, we have to be thinking a little bit differently, not just satisfied with knowledge. We need to challenge one another, hold each other accountable to obedience. Christians will talk about a Savior. We sang about it. How wonderful that is. Wow, how powerful that was, knowing that I'm saved. But it does not stop there. What Jesus has called us to is to a Lord, the one that I bow my knees before, the one that I surrender to, the one that is actually king, the one who is in charge of the decisions that I make on a day-to-day basis. Christians understand how to follow Christianity. I know how to go to church. I know how to do the midweek service. I know the songs. I know how to pray. I'm good. You know, okay, God, I can relax now. But to the disciple, they're a follower of Jesus. And whichever way the wind blows, wherever the Holy Spirit is leading, wherever it is that God is working, I have to be flexible. And you know what? I can't nail it down that it's this thing or this thing or this thing. Because God is doing new things. God is innovative. He's reaching out in new ways. Christians, it's wonderful to talk about the converts, people who are getting saved, how wonderful that is. We desire for that. But disciples, we talk about making disciples. A multiplication. Allowing God to intervene. God to move. God to raise up. God to build his church that he's wanting. And so we have to make our conversation, our vocabulary different because what we say affects how we think and how we think affects how we act. So we begin with the purpose of God. His purpose is for his glory among all the nations. His mission is in transforming lives. Let's have the next slide. We see in Genesis 12, God talking to Abraham. Leave your native country, your relatives and your fam- father's family. Go to the land that will, I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless you to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. God is desiring, this is his mission. The next slide. We have Psalm 67. Oh, how we love to give out the blessings. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. And we tend to stop there. Go in peace. Go into the parking lot singing. Go into your neighborhoods, whatever it is you're going to do. But let's not forget the next part so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. This is the heart of God, that all peoples, all nations, would be able to worship him and to glorify him. This is the mission of God. And whatever age, whatever is occurring in our lives, whatever we're experiencing, that mission remains unchangeable. That has been down through the ages. It continues to be the heart of God and the invitation to join him 
remains the same. He wants to partner with us. The next slide is Matthew. We see in Matthew 9, Jesus is saying to his disciples, So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers to his field. Fields. Uh, Who's the Lord of the harvest? Jesus. Good answer. He's over there. Do you hear what he's saying? Guys, ask me. I'm on this mission. I want this to happen. Ask me. Pray to me. Partner with me. Work with me on this, guys. Ask me to thrust out those labors. I'm going to be delighted to do it. But I want it to be your heart too. That's what discipleship is. It's understanding and gaining the heart of Jesus. That's what he's calling us to. Much higher, much closer, much different than what we oftentimes see. Our Christianity can flourish so much more. Because we have a purpose. We are designed, we are saved for a purpose of giving glory to God and seeing the nations. That's why we get involved in mission. That's why you have your call to how can we support missions financially? We're blessed economically to the rest of the world. What is our part? What do we do? You can give a pledge during this time where you're taking note of, let's pledge to be helping the mission. I can't go, but I can be helping those to make it happen because that's my heart. Not because they're pleading or they need it. It's because this is what God is doing. I am joining God. God, this is... I want to be an offering, I give my offering. It's that I'm a part in what God is doing in the world. It's his unchangeable mission. And he does it through love. If we can have the next slide. One of my colleagues was working over in Cameroon among the Hidi language and he noticed that as he was studying this language, all the verbs would end in either e, ah, or u. And as he's ready to get started to translate, he came across, he was thinking about this word love. And he heard of a deva, devi, but he never heard devu. And, and in a dream, God said, I want you to explore this word love, which was dv, and then it had an ending. So he gathered a conference together of people from the village, older men up front and kids along the side and, and then just gathering people together and say, help me understand a little bit about your language. And so he was asking of, uh, to the next slide, can you devi your wife? I've heard this. And he said, oh yes. Well, what would that mean? Well, if we said we devi our wives, that means, yes, the wife had been loved but now the love is gone. It's, it's died. And so then he asked the question, can you deva your wife? Oh yes, yeah, we could do that. Well, what would that mean? Well, that would mean that uh, she's done all the things that a wife is supposed to do. She's, she gets me water, gets some meals, she takes care of the ca- cattle, she's watching the kids, keeping the house. As long as she does all the good wife things that wives are supposed to do, yes, we uh, can say, I devour my wife. Then he asked the question, can you devu your wife? I haven't heard this word, devu. 
And they sort of snickered, and they laughed a little bit, they had the sideward glances, and they said, no, no, we wouldn't ever say that. You know. Because what that would mean is that we would have to keep loving our wife no matter what she did. Even if she never got water, never made meals, even if she committed adultery, we would still be committed, compelled to keep on loving her. No, we wouldn't say devu. It, it just doesn't exist. Until he looked out over the audience and he said, Could God devu people? And it got real quiet. And some of the older men in the front began to get tears. And they looked up and they said, Is this the kind of God? that you've been telling us about? Because we haven't been good people. We haven't been faithful to what he wants. In Amanab, where we worked, we had several different words for love. At least all we had was one simple one called membeg. If we can have the next slide. And this membeg meant basically to like. I like my Sweet potato, I like my pig, I like my wife. It just all gets lumped together. You know, I don't have a better word. Just membeg, like. When we started translating, I thought, isn't there a better word that we have, guys? And they said, mm, no. We just, well, we could say to like a lot. Okay, we're getting there. You know, we, we want that. Uh, but that's about it. I said, well, uh, suppose you really like this gal. You've got your, your young guys, you're ready to get married, and you see this girl, and wow, she is really great. And so you talk to your uncle, he talks to her uncle, your uncle comes back and says, good news, we've arranged a marriage, you get to marry that girl. What's all that wonderful emotion that just makes you want to jump up and your heart leap and the smile on your face and all that emotion, what do you call it? They said, membeg. <laughs> to like. But we do have a phrase. Well, what's that? Well, we could say to hang our thoughts on. Well, well tell me about it. Well, when I'm going to the garden, I'm, uh, I'm not really thinking about lunch. Uh, I'm hanging my thoughts on my girl. I'm thinking about her all the time. When I'm building the house where we're going to live, I'm not always paying attention because I'm hanging my thoughts on her. I'm thinking about her. For God is hanging his thoughts on the people of this ground so much, doting over them. The first thing that pops up on his screensaver, he's hanging his thoughts on the people of the ground so much that he sent his son. Then we got to John chapter 21. And we have this exchange between Jesus and Peter. Peter, do you love me? Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, I love you. In the Greek, there's actually two words going on there. Amenab was able to capture it, and this is what it sounds like. Peter, do you hang your thoughts on me? And Peter says, Lord, I beg you. I like you. A second time, Jesus says, Peter, do you hang your thoughts on me? Oh, Lord, you know. I'm and beg you. 
a third time, we're told Peter's a little bit distressed because Jesus says, Peter, do you like me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know I like you. We translate it that, and I asked the men that I was working with, what's going on here? And they said, oh, well, Peter, he can't be the big head. He can't go say, oh, Jesus, I hang my thoughts on you. He just denied Jesus three times. Jesus would call him out saying, aha, see, you know, yeah. So the best he could say is, I like you. But what Jesus is saying is, Peter, I'm calling you up to something greater. I'm calling you up to something much more profound and significant for your life. You're going to be cast out of the synagogue. You're going to stand before government officials. You're going to be thrown into prison. You are going to die for my cause. And you will know it's worth it if you'll hang your thoughts on me day and night. I am the one who consumes your thinking. I am the one who consumes your passion. I am the one who refreshes you. I am the one who nourishes you. I am the vine. You are the branches. Peter, I'm calling you up to something greater. We can be satisfied to be good Christians. But God is on mission. A purpose and a mission that has not changed throughout the centuries, from the beginning, even before creation, that he has created us for a purpose And it's not to just be nice. It is that the nations may glorify God as he demonstrates his love through us. If we have the last slide. So we see God's unchanging purpose is for all the nations to bring him glory wherever we are because the nations are now coming into our backyard. We have those opportunities. God's unchanging mission is to transform lives And God will do this through an incredible love that's demonstrated through his people. He wants us to partner with him. Will you hang your thoughts on Jesus all week long? Let's pray. Jesus, sometimes considering of having all the nations to glorify you is such a big task, it seems overwhelming. Lord, we can't do everything, but we can be strategic. Lord, we desire that we would hang our thoughts on you every moment of the day. Change us. Transform us. We want to be so much more. We want to be your servants. We truly want to call you Lord and King of our lives. We truly want to see your power demonstrated through us as we surrender to you. Give us opportunity this week to help people understand that you're longing for them to worship and glorify you. Give us the courage to stand strong in Jesus' name. Amen.